0: After close to 8 months of inactivity, I finally returned to playing Legends of Runeterra on the 25th of March 2022. I remember before I took a break from playing Legends of Runeterra, I made a call that I will be taking an extended break and that my return was more or less guaranteed. I told everyone that I would be making my return to Runeterra sometime during May or even April of the next year. After failing to qualify for the World Championships, my, my future in Runeterra was kind of uncertain. I didn't know what direction I wanted to take. Because deep inside me, I knew that the competitive aspect of Runeterra was not going to be what I expected it to be. I didn't really have that much high hopes for this game, in terms of the direction that it was taking. I played Hearthstone back in 2014, and the big reason why I left the game was because the moment the game was released on mobile, something in me told me that it was going to be a casual game. The competitive aspect of the game will be more or less non-existent. I'm glad I made the right call, and Hearthstone today is nothing but a spectator sport. Or a mobile game, where players just spend money in a, in a never-ending black hole and Blizzard just makes tons of cash from it. So what happened during the past 6 months, from me taking a break, playing Gods Unchained? Before I stopped the podcast, I did mention that I was on in the phase of starting my own business. And yes, I started a food business together with my chef sometime in August 2021. And ever since August 2021, I was actually planning to have one big hoo-ha for the August seasonal tournament. But you know, real life came into the picture. And I then devoted all my time into setting up the restaurant to make sure that it can took off, take off nicely. It was my first time running a full business. As so just since I've been an employee for about two and a half years at that point, I was busy being a software engineer. Things were really great. There were no reasons for me to step out of my comfort zone, I would say, and start my own business. But things just molded or fall into place, fell into place, I would say. I always wanted to have my own food business. It's been something which has been at the back of my mind for a very long time. I was actually thinking of doing it maybe towards when I'm in my 40s or in my 50s. Something which is just, I'm just going to do it towards uh, you know something I want to accomplish. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I say, you know what, let's just do it. I might have picked the wrong market conditions to start a food business. Because during that period of August 2021, there was no dining in. That means that in Singapore during that period, nobody could dine into your place and have a meal. It was especially tough for most, pla- most people who were already running existing food businesses. Nobody was dining in, overhead was too high you had to find a reason to not have your manpower around because it was quite expensive, especially for overhead, for most people who are running their own restaurant, cafe, get what I mean? I know that this is not just something that Singapore faced. It's most likely faced by countries all over the world. They were forced to, a lot of businesses were forced to close down. They were no longer able to maintain operating at that capacity anymore. But I do know that There's a saying that a famous entrepreneur always told me. He said that a true capitalist is able to make money or create value regardless of the market conditions. And I'm very glad that I took the leap of faith back in August. I left my software engineering comfortable job. I had enough money to actually start the business and had it run without worrying too much about overhead. I actually got my hands full, setting up all the operating procedures, touching up the menu with the chef, administrative procedures, hiring people to function in my cafe while I just watch. I did have a couple of people who guided me along the way, a couple of uh, industry titans who came over and gave me some advice, together with the chef's friend who came over and gave me some advice. I was definitely the youngest person to have started a restaurant amongst the people who I know. This year I turned 27 years old and so the age at which I started my restaurant was 26 years old which is actually pretty young according to most people's standards so that is actually something which I've planned for a long time and finally I managed to accomplish it some might ask yes I know you started business here and there maybe is that, are you going to use that as an excuse to say why you didn't perform in Legendary Terra?" Huh? I can say that it might have, have played a factor into it I was Heading into the August Seasonal Tournament, I was kind of thinking whether I should just you know, take a break at that point and just not play, and come back next year when everything was more stable, or I could just play the tournament and, you know, fit it into my schedule. And so I made the choice to fit it into my schedule. I had barely any practice for that Seasonal Tournament, and I still managed to close out 3 wins from the at the start, Round 1, Round 2, Round 3, and then I lost Round 4 and 5. And I just dropped, I didn't play at all. I didn't feel as pressured in the past where I needed to go all the way to make it to the day two to go into the price cut. The top cut. I mean. It just felt different at that point because I restarted my business and priorities change. That's all I can say. I was ready to leave this podcast behind and not record at all. I just want to focus on my business. Everything is when everything is smooth then I can probably make a comeback. Because at that point of time, I was already training staff. I had a few staff that I was training to ensure that everything was running smooth so I can just, you know, be at the back, entertain some of the guests and, and host some people that I want to invite to. Invite my, to my place. And so it's been a six-month run since August 2021 all the way to February 2022. The business has now reached a point where it can function without me. It's within a profit zone and my employees can run the show without me being there. So it got me thinking. Now that I've accomplished this part of my life, and I have a business that can sustain on its own, in this time of market conditions where COVID just decimated every single food business, I look around me and I see empty, vacant slots for people to move in. It feels like a nightmare scenario, because Singapore is seen in those countries where it's a business, it's a place where you want to do business. and needless to say it will be pretty easy to set up food business right because you have international clientele people flying in for meetings people meeting here and there in Singapore but since seems that time has changed because S- Singapore has one big problem which is due to their okay, due to being Asian and having a couple of Western values we are very afraid of losing or I'll say afraid of dying and so our measures in terms of COVID was pretty draconian and so that left to a lot of people leaving Singapore, especially the expatriates, they went back to the country or they fled to another place with better conditions, such as Dubai, such as maybe some of them went back to London, but I don't really know how bad London is. Based on what I see, it seems that most first world countries, especially the the Western world, is not in a very good state right now. Especially with all the ideological problems that they have. Which has been a melting pot or something which is ready to erupt in the west and so with my business running smoothly there was actually one decision that i could think of it was either i expand and do another food business or i should do something which nobody has ever done which was to travel during the covid era i had people all around me who were saying oh you know what it's so hard to travel here and there but the thing was that, I knew since 2021 that traveling is actually quite possible during the COVID era. All you gotta do is like, take a couple of tests, find a country that you want to go to, that actually allows you to pass through the borders. And that's all it takes. My entire Singaporean friends, or the entire Singaporean population, they're kind of brainwashed to think that you can't travel without the government telling you that you can travel. So basically, everyone thinks that you can, you're can you supposed to just stay in Singapore and just not leave. But it's not true, that's actually... A lot of ways you can travel you can just go online and search you can go to different portals and see which countries you can go to here and there and so in my mind i'm thinking i'm born in singapore it doesn't mean that i'll be doing business in singapore forever there's a chance for me to do something big elsewhere there's a chance for me to look at different countries and see what i can invest in i have been reading a book by jim rogers which is one of the most famous investors of all time he read, he, he wrote the book called Adventure Capitalist, or you know, he was able to say from running for the hot commodities book. He is a guy who went around the world, I think two times. First time was on his bike, and the second time was with a car. And so I was very inspired after reading his book. He was definitely a person who changed the way that I looked at the world. There were a couple of countries that he didn't mention in his book that he believed will have a future in, will have a future in the future. One of them being Turkey, another being China, of course, he's very bullish on China and its future. And then there was Russia, and he was very pessimistic on the future regarding the West, especially Europe and North America. And so I was looking at a couple of countries that he listed, and one of it was Turkey. At that point of time, I was actually having some business with people all over the world, and we needed to find a country where we could meet. And Turkey was the first country which came to my mind where we should all meet. Because a thing about Turkey, which something which a lot of you guys may not know, Turkey is actually the meeting place of the world. It is the cradle of civilization where the where the West meets the East. Especially one of the city Istanbul, it lies in the mid. It lies on both continents, Asia and Europe. If I'm not mistaken. They, were, they are separated by the Bosporus, which is the very famous river that you most likely have seen online. That flows in between Istanbul, separating west and the east. And I do know a little bit about it. I do know that the eastern side is, is uh, Kadikoy onwards. And then the western side is Beyoglu, Taksim, etc. Et and so I decided to, you know, I should schedule a business trip at the end of February since everything is smooth business is doing well and I needed to travel because I can't just stay in Singapore expecting that the whole world revolves around a tiny island and so it was time for me to begin my next phase a place that I can potentially look to outsource future talent to run a business of mine or maybe relocate to start a new chapter in my life and of course to settle some business with important people overseas and so Turkey was definitely the country which we all came to a consensus to meet. Another one was Dubai, because in terms of travelling right, these two countries are the most streamlined. They were accepting more people than other countries are. At that point of time, Europe was not really open. And Turkey, which some people might not agree that is part of Europe. I would say that it is part of Europe, but it's not part of EU, because it, it can actually be part of both Asia and Europe. And then, I was actually thinking of going to Southeast Asia, but there were a lot of places that were still in lockdown, especially Korea and Japan, which are two countries which I'm kind of fond of. They are very close neighbours to where I am, but the problem was that the countries were not accepting anyone to go in. And then when it comes to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, there was no way of getting in. These countries were still having incredibly harsh quarantine rules when you go into the countries so that was obviously a no-no and some of these countries didn't really accept you unless you have a business visa which meant that you had a legitimate reason if, if a business there that wanted you to come in to you know maybe settle some problems that they have and of course i was actually considering south and central america namely colombia mexico puerto rico and all that I didn't want to travel all the way there. Neither did the people I want to meet want to travel all the way there. And this part of the this part of these countries have a bit of a renegade element. I do not want to go to a place where I need to expect the unexpected. I've been to North America many times. I've been to New York many, many times. Texas, Houston, yeah, Houston, Texas, quite a few times. Been to Florida. And Actually, North America was something which I was considering, but the big problem was uh, President Joe Biden announced that uh, a lot of people could not fly into the US unless they had special reasons to, if I'm not mistaken. I was looking online and yeah, there was no way for me to get into the US. I would love to visit the US one last time because I do know that the country is currently going under a very big, I would say, cultural revolution. Like I said, because of the you know different ideologies and things are falling apart very quickly in the west right now. Unless you're living under the rock. Some guys might think that oh I'm doom and gloom, but really when you look around you, I can say that I can see the cracks starting to form in a lot of countries. And Southeast Asia, along with Central Asia, might be the place where the future might actually be. Along with the Middle East, by the way. And Apart from Turkey and Dubai, there was actually two other countries which I was very optimistic about, or maybe want to check out in the future, which is Armenia and Georgia. Most of you guys probably not heard about these two countries. They are actually on the right, I think, on the right of Turkey. These two countries are very close to the Caucasus region, very close to Russia. And I've been reading up about them and I think that these countries are actually looking pretty solid in terms of places that I do want to visit and maybe potentially live for a while. And so I scaled my meetup in Turkey. And then I went abroad to... And actually, Turkey was the one place where our passports had a common ground. It was somewhere where all of us had visa-free access to go to. And so you know what? Let's just go to Turkey. And so in my last episode of this, Obviously about cards, I didn't mention about my entire turkey experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, la la la. I talked about my God's Unchained, uninstalled experience where just two weeks of not playing the game made me unable to just not play the game at all. And the craziness of the patches, one week this deck was like was playable, next week it's not. The older cards will not get hit again because they promise the early players that you know they can invest into those cards. And those cards can remain broken forever. And they can just go back on their promise. They can love those old cards. And then, you know, it's it's basically you put your money in the bank account, right? They say that your money is safe, but then they can do whatever they want to it without telling you. So it's basically the same as Gods Unchained and how they can screw up anybody who chooses to invest in their games. And then that led to me just not wanting to play Gods Unchained at all. And so I was thinking, I have no card game to play. And... I do know that I will be returning to Legends of Terra really soon at that point of time. So why not I just use this opportunity since I'm relatively free right now and I do know that there way there might be a seasonal tournament coming up. Why not I just return to Legends of Terra? Why not I just go back to the game that I'm familiar with play a game which was the only card game which I continu- continuously played for more than a year without uninstalling without taking a break. In Yu-Gi-Oh! I was known for taking breaks, I can play one meta and just stop play for like one year and come back later and just whoop everyone's ass again. For Hearthstone, I played for 6 months competitive, took a break, came back sporadically to play one meta, stop again, come back, rinse and repeat. Runeterra was the one game which constantly kept me in the game. I don't know what it was about that game but I just wanted to carry on playing. I would say that it's because the game is relatively free to play but of course you're paying for time if you look past the time factor the game is actually free all you gotta do is put time into the game you don't have to be the best player in the game you can just be marginally okay because of the rewards feature the weekly event where you can unlock cards and then you eventually have everything unlocked so march 25th was the day that i decided to reinstall the game the install process was very smooth it wasn't an indie game like Gods Unchained where the website was tough to navigate. The, the support team was pretty bad. And all that. I went to the Riot website, downloaded the client, got my game started, and... And poof, I'm back in Runeterra. But that was a big problem. I was the only one online. I, I remember back in... Last year this time when I was playing Runeterra. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't this quiet because I will often have people like DMing me in the game, messaging me, asking me about the meta, what I think about this, what I think about that. But this time round, it was just silent. There was no one online. I, I literally saw zero online, six playing other games, and around more than 60, 70 people offline in my game client. And this was the first time that such a thing has happened. Because I remember that in the past, there was a lot of people online, there was always someone who's willing to scream with you. Find out about latest combos here and there. But this was sort of, uh, just silence. There was Just nobody. And I just built my deck. And here's the best part. When I tried to build my deck, I realized that the decks which I originally had saved during a uh, September when I uninstalled was still there and it was not blinking or anything. And then I looked at it, like, hmm, this is odd. And then I went over to see the leaderboard and to see what's the deck that everyone's running. And I saw that people were still playing Senna Viega. I did not bother to check what was in the deck. I just copied it, and somehow, someway, there was no need for me to craft anything. And I was hmm, six months and no more than six months, eight months, and no new cards were added into Vein Vega Senna. Maybe, maybe they did anything. Maybe the deck is just you know bunch of old cards together so i got the list i pretty much know how to play the deck there was no need for me to go and experiment and add in new cards the core function of Sena vega is basically to control the board buff out darkness every single turn eventually drop it once on your opponent or maybe even twice level up vega target the nexus boom fast speed darkness and that's the game and so when i was playing venus sega venus oh venus <laughs> V.A. Gasena I was definitely shocked to find out that Minimorph was still the same card it was still a 6 mana turn anything into a 3-3 at burst speed spell and I looked at it and I thought wow it's been what 8 months and there was no nerf to this card I wonder what Riot is thinking and so I was very curious I went to load up the entire deck and guess what it was still the same deck as I left (laughs) In September and then I was thinking maybe this was the reason why everybody is not playing Runeterra okay. because before I left I did mention that Bendel City has some pretty damn strong cards like Yordle in Arms and Mini Morph, and I was hoping that maybe Bendel City will get nerfed when I come back but then I looked at everything and I realized that you know what there's barely any nerfs at all everything else got buffed and Bendel City is just everywhere first game I played was basically a guy playing Gnar and then another game was a guy playing Tristana, and then it was Yumi here and there. It was just Bando City representation everywhere. And of course, there was Noxious together with Z. There were some people playing Caitlyn Draven, which was, I think, not Caitlyn Draven, Caitlyn Ezreal. It was an upgrade from Draven Ezreal. Ezreal Draven, yeah, just call it Ezreal Draven. And I was definitely surprised to find out that Ravenous Fog is still 1 mana deal for. If you guys are wondering why I always harp on about Reference Flock, I say that Revenance Flock is by far the strongest card in Noxious, and if Flock doesn't exist, the whole archetype will be dead. I quickly pieced the puzzle and realized that, you know what, the meta hasn't really changed since last September. And some part of me refused to believe that, you know, if the meta is this, this bad, it can't be just because everybody left because the meta is bad, right? But we have been through way worse metas. We've been through what? Hackerim, we've been through Ezreal Karma, which I enjoy. We've been through guys stealing cards from your deck out of nowhere. And then having their Wheel of Ionia cost 3 mana. Deep Meditation costing 1 mana. Lee Sin kicking your Nexus, killing you in one turn. Like, I'm pretty sure everybody has really been through it. And by the way, listening is still pretty much the same. Until the latest patch, which hit like yesterday. And I was wondering, it can't be just the meta, right? Like, how, can, how bad can this be? There's there definitely ways you can play around. Uh, what's the card called Golden Aegis together with others in Arms there's definitely a way for you to play around Overwhelm there's definitely ways way for you to play around Yumi and Pantheon it can't be this bad right that everybody just left the game because of Bendel City well, within 8 months everybody just left the game there's no way right? and then I slowly found out that oh it's no longer just the Southeast Asia region anymore it's called the APEC region which is Asia Pacific it has merged but To be honest, it doesn't really make a difference. Everybody just feels like an AI match to me. Because I remember I mentioned a couple of times, the the whole genre of card games has changed. Last time you sit across your opponent and play against him. But now you're playing against a computer, you can't really tell much. It's just basically a guy just jamming cards against you and... Okay, that's about it, right? And then the next piece of news was when I was talking to Moonboy. He happened to be online. And I asked, yo, man. He's still playing with terra, He told me he just, you know, just casually playing on the train on the way to work. I found out he stopped streaming, and that Seasonals will no longer have live coverage. He told me, Seasonals no more coverage. Then I was thinking, wait, no more coverage, and so I went to read the patch notes, and I found out that Seasonals will no longer have any coverage. So what does that mean? It means that nobody will care about amateur scene anymore. The entire concept of seasonal tournaments and all that is over. And there was no way for anybody to actually, you know, break it out as a major star in the game anymore. So that meant that if any player were to play in the Asia-Pacific region and outside of the seasonal tournament, nobody would really care about them. Because let's be honest, most Asia-Pacific players are not superstars. They are not the guys which can represent the game on the world stage. They are not they are not they're not me, okay? Okay, I'll be shameless. They're not me. They can't sell the game. They can't make it entertaining. They sure as hell can't speak as well as me. And definitely nobody will bother by Asia Pacific region. Because if no one's gonna watch the seasonals and that's the only gateway for people to find out about our players. Nobody else will. No one is streaming the game. And apart from a couple of countries which can speak English pretty well, no one else can. No, no one else can speak English that well, maybe in Thailand, Vietnam, some of them can't really speak English. In fact, most of them have no idea what you're saying. And I do know that there are some Thai streamers who stream the game, but they can't speak English, which is a very big problem. And so as a, as a whole, the fact that seasonal coverage is gone means that the whole region will be overshadowed and left to the wayside. Nobody will care, there will be no more casters, no more support. And I also found out from someone else that there will be no more tournaments and the entire region got rug boot. So it just took 8 months to decimate the entire region for the Asia-Pacific, or I would say Southeast Asia and Asia region. And to, be- to begin with, I do know that this has been a very big issue for a very long time. The Team Space has been trying to solve this issue for quite a while. They have been trying very hard to you know revitalize the scene by having tournaments here and there. Moonboy being one of the guys behind the entire Southeast Asia region trying to rally everyone. In terms of Asia region, I'm not very sure what they have done because I do know that the Japanese players are not very keen on communities. To them they're just keen on playing the game by themselves. Because you don't see them liking to play against other people from other countries. Because I do know from my Yugo experience, a lot of these Japanese players they prefer just to play amongst themselves. And then when they go to worlds, they just decimate everyone. And I was pretty much spot on in my prediction. In the finals, I was I, I think it was Alan ZQ versus a Japanese dude. And so yeah, the Japanese players are actually pretty damn good at the game. And then, slowly things started to show itself, and I'm not surprised that everyone left because, like I mentioned, this game was already dying from the start. I don't think the meta is to be blamed for people leaving the game. It's just the nature of card games. It's the it's just the way that. Legends of Terra has been structured. It is just a game where some it's not really something which has a future that much. Valorant has a future. League of Legends definitely has a future. Because if you were to play a computer game you buy a high spec computer you buy the best graphic cards you buy the best gaming mice. the best keyboard the best speaker the best basically you know what I'm trying to say. You wouldn't just sit on your computer and play card games right? If you want to play a computer game you'll definitely be playing like a very good ps5 game you'll be trying to find a new crypto game to play which can basically make you be able to play and earn you'll be playing the witcher you'll be playing skyrim i know this the genres don't sound too good you'll be most likely be playing a brand new RPG. and card games is just one genre where it's still better left to be played in person it's not the kind of game where you play online like maybe you can play on a phone but on a computer maybe some players just don't enjoy it as much and card games is one thing where it's much better to play it yourself than to watch someone play. I don't know that there's some aspect of Hearthstone where it's very RNG and people just enjoy watching players just making a big fiasco or hoo you know, RNG here and there. Sometimes it's entertaining to watch, but it's not fun to play and have your opponent RNG the hell out of you and then you just get mad and just uninstall the game. And like I said, card games are just meant to be played offline, not online. And so, with the cascading issues with what the region is facing, with the amount of players which I see on my friend list no longer even interested play in playing the game, and with the latest patch notes which just hit a day ago, I can't remember what it's called, it's the 1 to 33 changes. I was reading through the patch notes and realised that half of it was kind of irrelevant. Like, let's be honest, the, the entire patch was kind of irrelevant. Who, who, who really bothers about those changes? Okay, let me just whip out. The patch notes and let's just talk about it, right? And since I'm loading everything, let me just entertain you with some commentary. You probably can hear me typing on my keyboard. Let's just whip out the patch notes and let's talk about it. I know the biggest change was that the new patch and you know what? Battle 3 didn't get hit, Yordas in arms didn't get hit. And so that is basically the two changes which everybody wanted to see. They don't even take place. And as a player, I would say that Battle 3 maybe isn't that crazy, but the effect is crazy. Even though the play rate isn't that high, it is still a card which makes everybody just want to pull their hair out. Because it's an alternate win con. It's basically like Fiora which just you know kills 4 units and just wins the game. It just hits differently. Because the the way you wanna play Runeterra is basically to, you know, let uh, mis- uh make opponent access hit zero. But for those two regions, basically a lot to which those two cards namely fiora and Bandle tree you can just win the game from alternate conditions and i do know that they have printed new cards like desert duo celestial wonder which i think celestial wonder is okay but it's a bit meh i don't like stun decks i think it's damn stupid rocket barrage is actually pretty damn strong considering that pnc always bangs spell mana and they updated a couple of cards here and there but most of these changes are just irrelevant your yeah, affiliates is just late to the party no one cares about Aphilios anymore And Christendom is just basically a random 2-cost follower which means that you can't summon a few of the things you want to such as Mountain Gold, such as Eye of the Dragon. This is a card which definitely hinders a lot of these tempo oriented plays or cards that want to generate tokens. Which means that you can't summon Eye of the Dragon and Mountain Gold. Yeah, these are the only 2 cards that come to my mind. Because if I do remember, the only reason people play the Moon Weapons is with Lee Sin. And not with Christendom getting nerfed, I think that, you know, it's just insignificant already. Azir has had a pretty pretty big buff, I would say, because landmarks is something which adds on to Azir. And Azir can now be played together with uh what's it? He, his good buddy. His good buddy uh Zeref, And so I think that these two ascended forms are actually pretty solid. Gnar getting nerfed, I'm not a very big fan of Nara getting nerfed. I think that Gnar is not overpowered as most people say. The big problem is the pokey stick that he generates, not so much of the stats that he has. Gnar is actually quite manageable, especially with so many stuns in the game. And then Pantheon, okay, this is a weird one. Ever since I returned to Runeterra, there's only one deck that I played, which was basically Yumi, Pantheon, uh, Draven, Rumble, and what's it called? Senna, Viega. I only played these three decks. Like I can tell you that Pantheon, Yumi is the one deck where it's a combo deck. Don't get me wrong, it's a combo deck, but it just doesn't feel like a mid range control or whatever you want to call it. It's a combo deck. It's basically for you to attack once with Yumi and then you play Cataclysm attack twice, and then you play Golden Age attack three times, Spell Shield. Penton doesn't even need to level up. It really has like, Overwhelm and Fated combined together with it. And that means that you can slap on easily more than 20 plus damage in one turn, if you know how to play it properly. You can kill your opponent as early as turn five, turn six. That's how powerful the the deck is. And if your opponent survives then, then turn seven, he levels up, unlimited keywords, you just need to high roll and get Elusive and Spell Shield, and you just win the game on the spot. Mm. That's why I think that the Pantheon nerf is just irrelevant. The reduced attack by one. Yeah, it's good, but it's still a great card. It doesn't really make a difference. Pike? Mm, I'm not a very big fan of Lurk. I think that Lurk is one deck where you just need to know what you're doing. Okay, I, I don't know that I'm saying it very vague. It's not just you need to know what you're doing, you need to know how the deck is supposed to play out. You need to plan your turns in advance. If not, this deck is not gonna work. But of course you can plan all you want. If you don't trigger Lurk you just lose. And so this Pike nerf I would say is justified, but there's definitely more to Lurk than it just Pike. Because the, the the whole nature of the deck is that there needs to be a cap to how much attack you can gain. Because it's quite ridiculous to draw a one drop and have it at what nine attack. It's, it's just been stupid. I think that Lurk needs a maximum of plus three or plus four. If not anything more than like that, it's just borderline ridiculous really. And then there's rumble. I think the Rumble buff is invisible, no one plays Mecha Yottos, so I'm just going to skip this. Victor is going to be big, I think Hexcore Upgrade, Causing Zero, is going to be very big in terms of a Tempo card, or a Token card which can just discard everything. And I can see Victor being played, but not as much because Pantheon still exists. And Pantheon loves decks which commit to high mana, so you can just easily slap a Cataclysm and uh, rally and just win the game on the spot. Zexai, Doombreaker, down to a 3-5, I think it's okay. Twister Catalyzer, this is big, I think the Twister Catalyzer is one card which uh, I think is the big reason why Senna Viega is so powerful. Cause having a 2 mana 3-2 which trades very early, together with buffing up your darkness is a very big issue. And I don't think that Twister Catalyzer having its effect buffed but instead its stats is much better. Cause it still plays into the overall strategy of having a big darkness to close out the game fast and then there's vanguard sergeant i for one don't really bother too much about vanguard sergeant i just think that the one drop in health makes it back to normal before they even nerfed it right okay they didn't even nerf it just make it back to normal i think this card is just overplayed yeah i just overplayed i i know a lot of players are upset with vanguard sergeant but you know what vanguard sergeant was never meant to be a 3-4 it just became too strong and this revert is justified Conco Lodges and Looping Telescope, big nerfs to Bandle City, but like I mentioned, doesn't matter at all. And then there's okay, Pedal Style, I'll ignore it. Quicksand is big, I think Shurima or like Mono Shurima might be pretty good in this patch, but like I mentioned, Pantheon Yumi is still a thing, and there is no way that Pantheon Yumi will have a bad meta. I think Pantheon Yumi is the best deck in this format, based on everything I've seen so far. Meno City has a big problem, is that it can go white, but you can just end cards which can deal with the overall bot that your opponent has. You have like Rocket Barrage and then you have basically you can play Judgment like I do. I think judgment is very big, especially when you're playing Pantheon, you know what I mean? Shield wonders is fine. I think 10 mana is just too late, no one cares. Sheriff LaF La La Riot Rose Okay, no no really bothers. But the big one is Sharp Sight. I think Sharp Sight having a plus one is justified don't get me wrong, this card is still good, it can still block units with elusive, which is the main point of sharp sight. The plus 2, plus 2 is great, now it's a plus 1, plus 2, it's still okay, it's 2 mana for 3 stats, able to block see like Fizz, Zoe, etc, etc. And then there's Twin Disciples, okay this card is odd, I always thought that a plus 3, plus 3 on both sides is okay. But 2 mana is a David too cheap, and the fact that they give it a plus 2, plus 0, or plus 0, plus 3, is okay. But I want to see it go back to plus 2 or plus 2 on both sides of the stats. I think this is just waiting for another nerf sometime down the road. I think this is pretty much all the changes that I want to cover. Yeah, this is pretty much all the changes. I think this patch is... Okay, I, let me just gonna be honest with you guys. Runeterra has never had a good patch. Really? I, I covered so many patches with you guys. And I. this is probably the fastest I will review this patch. The 3 card changes, but none of them mattered. There's one problem with Tenera is that they can't just keep nerfing cards because players whine about the cards being strong. You, you can't run a card game like that. You can't run it like Gods Unchained where you just nerf the card and basically any new player can't even play the game anymore. Is Yolos in Arms and Rally a big issue? I think it can be. But do those cards really need to get nerfed? I think Yolos in Arms definitely should be questioned, but not Rally. The big thing with Rally is that it's a Demacia thing. And if you were to remove Rally, which is an option that you can use to counter your opponent, or to make opponent think about you having an additional attack before your own attack, on your own combat phase, it's a very big trick that the Masya has. And I think that the the Rally expect of the masia shouldn't get nerfed at all. I think that Rally is one of the last true Bastions of Hope for Legends Room Terra, or especially for the masia Because if you were to nerf Rally, right, the entire archetype will would be bad. To be honest, the Master doesn't look that great now, especially with Bando City around, with Shurima and all that. I know a lot of people will, will want to flame me and say that, you know, Rally is just too great. But if we were Rally, right, then what fear does the Master have? R- R- the Masai won't even be that much of a threat anymore. And I also believe that the worst days of Runeterra have already passed. We have Ursia Irelia, which was the worst, the darkest day in Runeterra ever. I never enjoyed a single day of Azir Irelia, even though I was playing dragons, it was very unbearable. Never any combat phases, and I'm glad that that phase of Runeterra is over. I think that Battle City as a expansion is okay so far, it's not that bad, it's not super oppressive. If it's that oppressive right, then why is everyone adding Battle City to their archetypes? They can just run a deck in Battle City. Like the top players of the game are not complaining about the game. They just make do with what they have. They're just going to keep winning because that's the winning formula. You can't just blame the game just because Mendel City is too strong. You need to find a way to make it, make your deck stronger with it. You need to be finding a way to win. It's not about making sure everybody gets pulled down together. Because when it comes to patch notes, right, there's always a cycle. The first two days is going to be full exploration. And then the next three weeks are just going to be the same game. Patch square one. It's going to be the same game everyone or everyone playing the same few decks. Nothing worse will ever change, patch notes are never perfect and I can already confirm that every single patch notes that I've covered all suck. I don't think that this is a Legends of Terra problem, it's a digital card game problem because you can just easily change the text on the card that you've printed. In the past you can't do that, you can't expect anyone to return your cards and then print new copies right? And so let me just talk about what's next for me. What's next for me in Legends Run Terra? I'm honestly contemplating what to do. I can just play this game casually and create content for everyone to listen. But maybe there's more to it, like just that, maybe there's room in it for me to have another big run. I'm actually contemplating that. So I'll see you guys on the next one. Take care guys, that's game.